0: Come, we go. What's up Tribe Pam? Enjoying life. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve any good vibes. The right. Sunday vibe today is on real. like on real. The tribe gotta be moving to bring more people together. We gotta go from big distance. Just do it! Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the tribe. tribe. day and aloha, everyone. This is the Tribe Collective Podcast with your host, Dylan Kitigua. Today we have Tristan Kitigua. This is a really cool podcast for me because he is um, a great guy. He is a firefighter, um, martial artist, surfer, cardiovascular athlete, um, and there's so much more to it. And he's also my twin brother, so um, it's going to be kind of a challenge for me to talk to to him without... um, Without a lot of background information, since I know so much about him. But uh, good morning, Tristan. How are you doing? Hey, man. Uh, thanks
1: for having me on the podcast. Super cool to, you know, talk to you and try to get my story out to people, and just hopefully it resonates with some listening ears, and might motivate somebody to try something new, and you know, just kind of come out of their comfort zone and you know just
0: challenge themselves so yeah yeah thank you i mean you have a you have a really crazy story and it's like so different than mine and we you know even as twin brothers um who are 59 minutes apart from each other um we have very different stories and it's put us in very different places in life and mm-hmm. i you know um i remember going to the forge which is the the physical therapy um, place that we both went to and and trained at. Uh, Shout out to Jimmy and Justin. Yeah, Jimmy and Justin, they're badasses. You guys are Um, awesome. Yeah, Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Justin, um, they were just like, whoa, you guys are very different people, but you guys move the same way, even though you're doing different sports. Um, I really
1: thought that was fascinating to hear too, because they've (laughs) been you for a year at that point and they've only met me for like all of 10 minutes and they were
0: able to make that conclusion. Yeah, well like when you have when you have doctors who are their little job is just to see how you move and how and how you um how you do certain things. It's just mm. they just are so keen to that. Um I would like for you to just start with an introduction of who you are um and we'll go from there. All right. So well, yeah,
1: my name is Tristan Kierigua. Um Right now, I've been firefighting in the wildland scene for since 2016. Um, you know, I started off as a contractor, so I've been doing that for nearly half a decade, maybe a little bit more. Um, currently, I just became a firefighter for the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department here in Florida. Um, You know, I love to do martial arts, such as jujitsu, I'm a white belt, and I like to do Muay Thai, I like to train, I'm married to my lovely wife, Phoebe, Um, and yeah, we live in Florida, she's a nurse at the Mayo Clinic, I also work at the Mayo Clinic as an EMT, Uh, we just do a lot of patient transport, you know, basic medical care, um, and yeah, I live with my dog Rooster. He's a little miniature Dachshund wiener dog. And <laughs> I just try to do everything I can to stay healthy. I go to the gym. Um, try to go to the gym at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. I'm a super big advocate mm-hmm. of katana and just like natural, you know, holistic, um, healthy
0: lifestyles, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're You're now, you're currently living in Jacksonville, Florida, um, which is a, you live in a very beautiful part of the country. And I got to visit you, um, during your wedding, I was your best man for a wedding. So that was super cool for me. And your family lives, um, very close by too, which has probably been super helpful and supportive for you, Mm -hmm. um the way you described your current life is a very like picturesque uh, beautiful like american dream but before you got there um you had to go through a lot of trials and tribulations i think i did as well and i kind of want to go all the way back to when i ask you like who is tristan i want to know like where are you from right and yeah you're right um right now like On paper, everything
1: seems like the perfect American dream, job, wife, home, puppy, like everything seems perfect, but, you know, it wasn't always like that. And last year was huge for me because all of these things kind of lined up one after the other with getting, we just purchased our house or townhome in March and February or May. I got my job at the Mayo Clinic and then shortly after that, I, um, you know, I graduated from fire school. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like, I've always had these things. So a lot of these things are very new. And, you know, I'm still trying to adapt to these to my lifestyle, and everything's just changing so fast for me. But when we talk about me as a person, you know, I, I, you know, grew up at EVA Beach, Mm -hmm. went to James Campbell High School, you know, I've been running cross-country since I was in middle school, um, and that was, that actually wasn't my first sport. My first sport was, as you know, inline hockey, and I really took a, a liking it to be a goalie, and that was like really my first real sport, was being a goalie. Where did you start that? Uh,
0: I think we were like fourth grade or something like that, yeah. third or fourth grade. Um yeah I think we're yeah we're in the 5th grade 4th or 5th grade you're right. Uh I don't know how old you are like 8 years old at the time. Yeah uh, it's got to be something something like that because we were in
1: elementary school at Holomua and I remember talking to my teacher Miss Yamaguchi and we were like running around the basketball field and I was getting you know side cramps and she said oh that's because you're like not in good shape and I was like oh well you know I play hockey and she's like, well, that doesn't mean you're in good shape. So,
0: so Man, what I, what does that, what does that, that like, how does it impact a, like a fourth or fifth grader? To say yeah. Like and not
1: maybe want to work out, you know, at that age. So, but we were always
0: active, right?
1: Oh, we were always, you know, riding bikes around the neighborhood, riding skates from the neighborhood, you know, running around mm-hmm. with our cousins, always you know, exploring, whether it was like spearfishing, hunting in the mountains with grandma and grandpa, and cousins for goat or pig, we were always doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can safely say that hockey was our real like first sport. And that's yeah. what really gave us that competitive like edge. I remember playing hockey with you. You know, we just started and we were like, you know, we just got our skates, we just got like some used shin pads, some used gloves, used elbow pads, Mm -hmm. um, used, used (laughs) how everything was used, you know, at the time, you know, hockey is a really expensive sport. So we got all of our gear like secondhand and we were like playing just me and you and our like technique was horrible. We didn't even know Mm -hmm. how to do a proper shot, couldn't skate for shit, you know, we were just like stumbling over ourselves. (laughs) And I remember dad was on the sidelines like get him Tris get him, and yeah it was it was, it was funny but yeah so we started off with hockey and eventually moved into cross country and cross country for me it was like you know it's just pure running and for me I wanted to be like Taylor Lautner because back then he was like you know he had the abs he was in Twilight. Mm-hmm. Taylor Lautner was like the dude. So I was like, okay, I want to be like Taylor Lautner. I'm going to start running. You know, I had a really unhealthy relationship with food at the time. I would eat like really bad food. And I was like, man, if I eat this, I'm going to not have abs. So I would throw up. Like I would literally like throw up right after I ate. And How was this? This was like middle school. And this was like during, you know, middle school was really tough because you're like, in that weird hormonal stage you're trying to figure out who you are you know you like girls but like you're not really mature enough to like you know pursue that kind of thing and I thought maybe having abs would be like a good way to get girls
0: yeah that was kind of no actually not kind of that was super toxic when Twilight came out because Taylor Lautner and abs and were like so important for our generation exactly Did you um do you think (laughs) rooster shut up? All right, hi rooster (laughs) dogs.
1: Yeah, so with with that, I mean I had a really unhealthy relationship with working out, and you know, like I think cross-country kind of forced me to wanna Um, you know have better nutrition and I couldn't really do that whole like you know throwing up after I ate it was wasn't wasn't good but I did that for a while so like
0: would you diagnose yourself with bulimia
1: um I think I guess like technically that could be bulimic you know well
0: I think I think that I think bulimia kind of is for the intention right if like if you ate if you're eating and you're like oh i need to throw up because it's i don't want to like get fat i don't want to um and i don't look good i physically look like when you look in the mirror and you look like 30 pounds heavier
1: yeah i, I honestly i i was super embarrassed like when i was playing hockey i didn't want to take my shirt off because you know mm-hmm. i had fat rolls when I would sit down and that was super embarrassing to me so I would throw up because I was like you know if I ate this food I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get fatter so I would throw up and try to just not give myself any food so I'd you know try to get abs Mm -hmm. and you know that's now I know that's not healthy but you know as a tender middle age or middle schooler I'm not I'm not really aware of that. So,
0: right. So, okay. So you do hockey from the fifth grade to pretty much uh, like
1: I I did that sport pretty much till like sophomore year of high school when I finally like mm-hmm. kind of stopped. Um, but yeah, you know, I I was actually decently successful in that sport, and um, you know, we got to travel and go to Maui and play beach volleyball. Mm-hmm know, with all my friends and like go traveling and you know it's a good sport but you know then I started doing cross country and dad started getting us into wrestling I don't know what really what made him force us to wrestle but around the same time I started cross country we started wrestling as well I think cross country was you know earlier in the season earlier in the year and then mm-hmm. wrestling came afterwards like in the fall right so we were seventh grade and we started wrestling and, mm. you know, I was cross country, there's a wrestling. And then, you know, that's when I really started to understand like what a real hard sport is because, you know, you're in your stance of the whole practice for like hours, you know, we would get in trouble if we broke our stance, you know, or your wrestling stance. And, um, you know, even as being your a
0: goalie, you're kind of like in that you know bent over stance too so mm-hmm. your your knees are at 90 degrees your hamstrings mm-hmm. are activated your your um your glutes are activated and it's a very like <clears throat> core is activated yeah physical it's a very physical position that not a lot of people can do for you know a wrestling a wrestling match in high school or middle school is like six minutes you know and in college is seven minutes and that's a long time to be in that position let alone two hours
1: yeah, and <clears throat> you know, so I just was doing cross-country in high school, you know. Um, and I really loved at, at that point, I really loved cross-country. My freshman year, I didn't do very I didn't do very well. Um, so not doing very well motivated me to do better. So next the next year, you know, I I was training hard, running two, three times a day, trying to make states. That was my whole goal. I was like, okay, I want to make states and mm-hmm. was there a time I, a time goal or it was kind of- you know it it was based on time but uh more importantly place because you had to be like top i don't know like maybe 100 or something in that, yeah. in that race in OAS to make states mm-hmm. OAS is the oahu inter scholastic association and that was like all the public schools in oahu would go to this one race and i think it was at corpse that year in um yeah
0: corpses it means a central oahu regional park it's in uh Wai-Pio. yeah so we had the race that year
1: um i believe i qualified that year for states and that was i was stoked because not many people qualified for states as sophomores you know that you have to be in varsity cross country to be you know able to go to states and i made varsity my sophomore year you know stoked i was running really well and i was taking care of my body i felt like i was in great shape you know i had a good relationship with food Um, were you still throwing up at the time no i mean i was trying to you know eat healthy drink a gallon of water a day i i kind of stopped that um You know, once I started wrestling hard and running hard, you know, because your body just needed needed that nutrition. And that bulimic phase maybe lasted
0: a couple years, seventh eighth grade. Mm -hmm. That's a very um, tender time for for an adolescent. Is those is those years? You know, you're like there's a lot of social pressure. Um, You're kind of coming into yourself. You don't really have a self identity yet, and and I think a lot of people just want um, to be accepted in whatever form that Absolutely. form that was. Um, it was funny because
1: you know in, in middle school you have like all these you know cliques. You have like you have like the bangers. They all hung out and in front of that. You know, there's that circle, the banger circle, and then you had all like yeah. the, the like the nerdy guys, like the guys that are kind of emo you had like the Hawaiians and mm-hmm. then you had like kind of everybody else, just like and the
0: Filipinos on the one side,
1: you the... on one side that they didn't speak English. So like nobody really <laughs> interacted with him.
0: <laughs> That's so, Oh my God, you're taking me back. Um Okay. So I want to ask you more about why running was so, why were you so passionate about running? Like what did it offer you when you're, when you're a freshman and like, what did it offer you your, your sophomore year like was states like really your only motivation was it you didn't want to lose or was there was there more was there was there a feeling when you're running
1: well you know i think a lot of it was um a lot of it was wanting to be great and try to do something great and trying to push myself to be great and initially it was just for fun and then I started seeing like you know people respected people that were great and I wanted to be one of those people and my freshman year I wasn't you know I was nowhere near top seven runners and to be the top seven runners like on the team that was kind of a big deal so my sophomore year that was like one of my goals was to be top seven be on the varsity team and I just had a sorry i just had a a vision for myself you know to 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 be a good runner <clears throat> to make states and maybe a, <clears throat> a driving factor of that was what i was dealing with at home you know with you know just you, you, as you know we kind of grew up with a lot of traumas with you know some abuse from our our father, and that was huge. I did uh, at some point, I didn't want to go home. I'd rather stay at school
0: and work out mm. than go home and deal with some, you know, bullshit from dad. You know, that's crazy because I never had this conversation, but literally, I would do the same thing. I would go to cross country practice and then go to judo practice. J- well, cross country was from three to five ish, and then judo was like, I don't know, six six to six to seven thirty and then i would go to wrestling practice from seven thirty to to eight eight fifteen just just to like not just be home yeah yes get out of the house wait till dad was wait till dad was in bed exactly uh, yeah i remember i remember that too
1: and it got it got worse you know junior senior year so freshmans freshman sophomore year was was great because it wasn't bad yet it was just it was tolerable um yeah and i yeah like i said my main goal for sophomore year was just to make states and i i got that goal and the only ever the only people that were able to do that at the school at the time were like really good runners like Kiahi Kiahi was a phenomenal runner he was making states and prior to that, there's was like one other guy, I think his name was Josh. Um, but at the time, Campbell didn't really have a good, you know, a good program. And mm-hmm. I think we were a really big part of that because um, we just had a good group of guys that would run together. And those guys kind of pushed each other. We Every day we'd go in and we would try to, you know, Push each other to run faster and further, and mm-hmm. we would just get like this runner's high, you know, every day. And for a while, that was all I cared about. I didn't care about school, I didn't care about anything else. I just cared about okay, what's gonna happen once this school bell rings? What, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna get ready, I'm gonna start, you know, tricky water, we're gonna start
0: stretching, gonna, and then I'm gonna go on, on like a 10 mile run. Mm-hmm. So. Cross-country for you was was kind of an escape, but it also something you're passionate about. And I actually wanted to comment on that because, you know, growing up with you, um, you were always the more athletic one, which was kind of like you kind of filled that role. And I remember I was waiting for you to finish cross-country practice, and I was just sitting on a bench, like in the courtyard of Ilima, uh, our middle school, and I just started reading a book. Because I was like, <laughs> I didn't have a phone, yet, mm-hmm. or I think we might have had a phone, but like, we social media wasn't a thing, and so I was just kind of bored. So I just started reading my book and started doing my homework while you're finishing with cross country practice. But um, for you, you got so good at these sports, and like watching you get so good, it became like you could see this like gap, increasing, and I was like, wow, Tristan's like a fucking badass and because you got me to i started wrestling i didn't do cross country until my sophomore year in high school and i got to see you in your scene you know like you were like you were the guy you're one of the guys at Campbell. you're not just fast um but you're also athletic you could do other things besides running where whereas you know you see in the cross country world a lot of people you know weren't flexible weren't strong they're just one thing they're one Um,
1: direction one they're singular singular faceted yeah no
0: well i don't think that's a real word (laughs) 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 um um, but yeah you're right they're just um this one-dimensional people and you know i i um i got to see you i think you placed like top five top three at, at westerns um one year and you wanted to take a picture with me i'm like dude this guy wants to take a picture of me right now like i'm I'm holding like a 16th place ribbon and you're like top five and like we took a picture again. and i was like whoa this is like really cool i'm like proud of myself but also like it's like damn my brother is untouchable for me i cannot cannot keep up with you
1: um i mean that was your first i remember that was like your first championship race and you placed like you know, that, you started running cross-country your sophomore year, right? And yeah. that was your first championship race. And I remember we had we had one race together that we, like, was it was a Kalani, I believe. And we, like, won first place as a team. And it was, like, mm-hmm. me, Jordan, Romanek, Kiahi. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Jake Hirsch was there yet. Nicholas Panakis was there. yeah. Yeah, that was that was a good time. Um Aaron, but like Arigan was there and yeah, that was like the crew. We'd always run together
0: and push each other. Right. And that was kind of like the first idea of tribe for us, I think. It was like having this tight knit group of guys, you know, we didn't just train together, but we like broke bread together. We went to the beach together, we played the ukulele and sang and um, you know, really like got to know each other as 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 brothers we were all brothers we had a we called it the the wolf pack at the time
1: oh yeah and we had we had um you know we'd always have like pizza parties at the house sleepovers Mm
0: -hmm. you know we'd
1: hang out watch anime Mm
0: -hmm. you know so so your cross-country career started blowing up your sophomore year how did your junior and senior year go
1: junior year was good um it wasn't great Because I ended up getting um, shin, uh, stress fractures in my shin, my left shin. remember it was because I did a 90-mile week. And at the time, that was crazy because I was doing, you know, maybe 60 miles, 70 miles a week. And then I got extremely competitive with one of the guys in the team, Jordan, Jordan Angst. And he would would tell me, yeah, Tristan, I ran 120 miles this week. I am like, fuck, dude, I got to get up to there. So I was like, all right. So wrapping it up, do 90 miles. And then all of a sudden, my leg was like just in so much pain, like throbbing pain. I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, eventually I got an x-ray and it revealed that I had stress fractures. So I wasn't able to. Go to states that year, which was a a bummer because I was like, you know, I was guar almost guaranteed to go to states with states the year before. I did a bunch of races. I placed. I did really well.
0: Mm -hmm. You're a top guy.
1: Yeah, I was one of the top runners of the team at the time. Probably like maybe second fastest runner of the team because Keahi was Keahi was really fast, and you know he was just a beast. Um. And then, you know, Jordan came on from Washington and he just put he put a fire to my ass because I'm like, you know, I'm thinking that I'm training really hard. And then this guy comes in and just like starts beating me, you know, and I'm like, not okay with it. So I start training harder. You know, maybe he wasn't training the smartest because I would train a lot, you know, work out, hit legs, and then go like on a 10 mile run and then go to wrestling practice afterwards. And looking back, it's like, yeah, that's not sustainable, you know, and the only reason that I was able to do that was because I was young, you know, I right. had youth side,
0: so Right. Um, so junior, I, sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah. Junior year was, was good up, to, up until that point, you know? Um, So then I, you know, I started doing other things, you know, I started trying to swim more, try to get some more cardio in without, you know, hurting myself um you know and I actually was wrestling but I had stopped wrestling my junior year and just started focusing on running
0: mm-hmm. yeah that was that was cool to like cool to you know see for sure like you know we we're both doing well in our sports but also we would I was doing better in wrestling, but you would still do well in wrestling, like you would still place in wrestling, and then I would go and run. I'd still place and run. And it was just kind of cool to see how how we we're kind of compliment complementing each other in, in these sports that weren't really supposed to be complementary. Right. Um so crazy because
1: we had a lot of people like on the wrestling side want to run cross country, and then we had a lot of runners wanna join wrestling because they just Maybe they looked up to us and saw that, like, hey, like these guys are doing well in these sports. And it kind of gave other people the confidence to try to switch over, you know, mm-hmm. and we were always super like welcoming too. Like, yeah, you guys try it out. Like, you know, and I think that empowered people to try something that maybe they wouldn't have normally tried. I remember Matt, Matthew, the other gentleman Mat- Man- Mat- Mantanonia yeah he he was running cross country he was originally a paddler mm-hmm. and then he started getting to wrestling and um and then he did really well in wrestling so maybe maybe that had some part we had some part of of that you know um maybe
0: but yeah, yeah we worked really hard and we something that i really loved about us too is specifically as a duo is that we were always able to you know um motivate the room if we're like if we're doing laps or um strides up a hill we would like we would do the goggins thing before goggins was even popular we would um we would start doing push-ups while everyone was resting everyone's getting water between these like these hill sprints we would start doing push-ups just to fuck with everyone yeah just to just to like destroy them mentally you know what that's called? Do you know Goggins calls that? What? He calls it um taking souls. It's like uh, he's like I'm gonna take your soul by like making you not think you can do what I'm doing, and like just like just totally annihilate your your mental. Um,
1: yeah, I don't and, know. You know. The wrestling mindset really translated into. Uh, wrestling for me or to running for me because you know like a lot of people we would do like the sprints and a lot of people would be like dying and like bent over breathing hard and i would be like all right 20 push-ups <laughs> like while
0: people are like yeah and then ready to go again for the next sprint
1: mm-hmm. and
0: why Wido was really good about that he he would say well because in a wrestling match he was like no one's allowed to have their hands on their knees keep your chest up high you're tired everyone." know everyone knows you're tired but just keep your chest up don't look tired and that was a big part of i think that really did translate to other parts of our career as as athletes um let's go i just actually wanted to ask you a a question about what does eva beach mean to you
1: Hmm. eva beach eva beach is where it all started really you know that's the that's for me that I have such a you know th- that place has such a big part in my life and such a big part of my heart and you know it just to me it just I think humble beginnings I think mm-hmm. going to the beach I think you know walking around with slippers walking around barefoot going to the Montpool man and I think about community when I think about Ebba Beach and I think about poverty I think about the biggest Mm. public school in Hawaii. Um, And I think about 30 kids in a classroom in 100 degrees with no AC, but still trying to do everything they can to be successful. And Ever Beach to me is like being put in a very uncomfortable place, you know, with not the best resources, but trying your hardest to be successful despite these, you know, these this environment that's not conducive to success. Um, you know, now it's a lot better. Um, but maybe even when we were in high school, it was getting better, but, you know, we still had people doing drugs to the bathroom. We still had fights happening all the time. You know, mm-hmm. we still had kids becoming pregnant before the age of 18, dropping out of school. Um, and I, I had a lot of friends that dropped out because, um, of drugs and because they would get into fights mm-hmm. and, you know cross country and wrestling really just kind of kept my head on right you know because I could have easily fell into that trap could easily fell into that that cycle and people typically would you know graduate high school and then get like a construction job and that's it you know have kids that was like the extent of it and I wanted something more for myself and I was surrounded by people that you know they ridiculed others for not having that mindset that's you know that like small mindset of graduate go get a construction job and that's it and Mm -hmm. you know a lot of my peers would ridicule me because you know I'd come in with you know a totally different mindset wanting to go to college wanting to have a good vocabulary wanting to like be better and you know we were actually made fun of for that you know being called like nerds or something mm. um yeah so it's i, I really did i wanted like to I, mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to um comment on that uh the mentality to want more for yourself it really creates a divide and in, and in, in like the layman's person and the people who are striving and I noticed for myself i got bullied in in middle school um you know like all, a lot of the bangers would like just kick me you know like try to practice their high kick on me and i, I would just kind of laugh like haha like you know it's like but once i started really taking care of myself like no one fucked with me anymore like and i was still a nerd but i was i was a nerd with a six pack and i was a nerd who like knew how to take you to the ground if i needed to yep. i could you know people knew us that the twins would run forever like they would see us yeah. running all day long we'd start we'd start right after school finished sometimes we start in the morning we would run before school and people would see us like running literally all day and it created this this um representation where people knew we weren't fucking around like Mm -hmm. we we knew like and people took us i think people took us seriously for that and they knew we didn't want that 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 other life um but I want to mention like the the thing about you said about good vocabulary and how, how important and how powerful that can be for, for your life is that, um, you know, we were raised by a militant, not militant. He was in the military. Our father was in the military and he was um, a police officer. And, and what did that, what did that like growing up with, with that kind of person, what did that do for your vocabulary?
1: Well, he, he was, as you said, he was in the Honolulu Police Department, and he was also in the Coast Guard. So he was very strict with having us be proper in the way we spoke. He would always say yes or no, not yeah or nah, excuse me, not what. Um, and really just that transcended into everything and into how we, you know, greeted other people and how polite we were with other people. And I think that alone just gives off a good impression and people just can identify like these kids are good kids, you know, like they're saying hello to everybody in the room, shaking their hands, giving everybody all the, you know, ladies in the room, a kiss of the cheek, you know, and Mm -hmm. speaking properly, kind of gives you a little bit more respect in in certain areas, you know, especially in like the professional world, you know, and, you know, we come from a place where it's all like, oh, how's it, ba? Like, what you doing today? Like, I like to go grab food with you. And like, you know, that's like the pigeon Hawaiian, like aspect of our lives. But we also had to know the other side of how to be professional. And, you know, that really mm-hmm. helped me in my adulthood, because, you know, you come in with a good, good manners and
0: good etiquette, people are going to respect you a little bit more right i just wanted to touch on that because i think that's really important and for a lot of people who are um, in hawaii who are listening to this like being able to switch on and off pigeon and being bilingual in that way is like it's a game changer and people you know people respect you both ways if you can speak pigeon and if you can speak uh, properly Um, you said when i asked you what does eva beach mean to you you use mm-hmm. the word poverty. Um, can you extrapolate on that?
1: Okay, so maybe on
0: your own in your own life, and
1: um, well, okay. So when I think about Ever Beach and poverty, I you know we have all these kids that are on you know government assistance. There's um, a lot of section mm-hmm. eight housing in in Ever Beach. You know a lot of kids grew up in, you know, single-parent households, um, yeah, and, like, maybe that person had multiple kids that they had to, you know, look after, and, you know, I, I personally dealt with poverty when I was in college, um, you know, so when I went to college, I was, um, you know, I was in college at Southern Oregon University, and, um, you know, I was pursuing a, a degree in digital media. And at the time I was dating this girl, and we had a, you know a bad relationship. and it ended up with me going to jail and getting kicked out of school, you know, so I'm five, you know five thousand miles away from home, living in the dorms. All of a sudden, my world got flipped upside down with this really terrible relationship. And I found myself homeless. You know, I was working at Starbucks, making like $12 an hour. Um, you know, and that's all I had. I was working at Starbucks. I remember the day I got arrested and got out, I was supposed to be at work. And my boss actually came and picked me up and took me to Starbucks. And I was like, hey, let me get you a drink, let me get you some food, and we'll come up with a plan. I said, okay. So, who was
0: this? Who was this person?
1: My um my old boss um my old boss at Starbucks I forget his name. You should reach
0: out to this guy and let him know how well yeah, you're doing. I,
1: I have him I have him as a friend on uh, Facebook. Um, shout out to him. He actually hired me on the spot. You know, and I think he just liked me because, you know, I presented well, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So I would take all the food at the end of the week on sunday they would throw all the expired food out at and- starbucks starbucks and you know i would get a crate and fill the crate up with food and they're like yeah just take the crate and just bring it back i was like okay so it's like a big crate like a big box like that i'd fill it up with paninis and protein boxes salads um protein bars everything and that's that was what i ate throughout the week um and you know i would fill up my i would have a gallon of water and i'd fill it up at starbucks every day so i was getting free food free water and a job so i was making some money and i was working out at the gym every day so i'd work my heart out because i had all this you know pent-up emotions all this bad emotions that i would use the gym i would use running i would use wrestling because at the time the wrestling coach would still let me go in practice and i would use that as my outlet to to expend my energy and expend my time you know at least i was stay on top of my health mm-hmm. physically because i feel like if i lost my physical health my mental health would deteriorate as well so
0: can i can i pause you sure. so um where were you living at the time so
1: i was living in my friend ryan McWater and travis harnos they let me stay on their couch and i was sleeping on their couch for like months you know And i tried to do everything i could you know clean the house i would try to make food um you know i try to stay out of the way as much as possible try to stay out of the house as much as possible and you know i would just sleep on the couch and
0: that was it and i was so so let me summarize this so i can get this straight so you're you're wrestling in college you're you're studying multimedia digital arts mm-hmm. is that correct yep um excuse me and you get you get arrested um mm-hmm. for um whatever it is you got arrested for and you find yourself homeless you you get kicked out of the dorms and you're uh, i'm actually i actually got kicked out of the dorms too when i went to go visit you and i'm like i can never go back to that campus like i'm yeah literally can never go back. Um, like it's a temporary or a permanent restraining order on me at SOU. And, um, so, so you get picked up by your boss Mm -hmm. and you got to go to work that day. And, and now it's kind of like, you're trying to find all of your basic needs through your food and water from, from Starbucks, you know, you're getting, you're getting your workout in, And I think that's a really great point that you can touch on is like the importance of taking care of yourself physically when everything is going to shit.
1: Yeah, and you know, despite all those things, I wanted to stay in shape because I felt like that was the only thing to keep me sane, you know? I had all these emotions of getting kicked out. I felt so sorry for myself. I felt like, you know, like, I just felt like people should pity me. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get shredded. I'm going to work out, you know, all these emotions. And then I'm going to go to work and not let Mm -hmm. these, you know, these things kind of affect me that much. Um, Yeah. And I think the physical health was really what kept me sane because, uh, if I didn't have anywhere to release that energy, then I would have gone crazy. I would have, you know, just gone mad. I remember telling myself, like, you know, the world's not going to stop for anybody. So you got to kind of pick yourself up and keep going and keep, keep, you know, working out and just keep trying forward. to keep push, keep forward. Exactly. And, you know, I could sit here and dwell on it. I feel sorry for myself, get fat, you know, eat a bunch of food, drugs, drugs, do drugs, drink, drink, you know, and yeah, I just couldn't accept that as a, as an option. I wanted something better for myself.
0: So, you know, that's amazing because I think a lot of people, you know, you're, you know, you're I don't think five thousand miles is the right number, but I think you're like two thousand miles away from home. You oh, know, yeah. you can't you can't really afford to go home. You know, if you're working like minimum wage, um, and it's just crazy because I think a very normal person who didn't have any adversity in their life would have quit. Would have yeah, found different have, ways. They would have
1: been like, "I'm going home, going back to Hawaii, chillin Beach, whatever. Like, screw this place." But for me, I was like. No, I can't accept that failure. I want to stay here and try to work it out, you know? And my buddy, Matt Clark, he was like telling me about this job, um, about wildlife firefighting. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. You're going to go fight fire in the woods and, you know, just be a firefighter. I was like, all right, let me just try it out I'll try it out for a season see if i like it try to make some money and you know i i um went out i applied and they're like okay come in for an interview you know so i show up for the interview i have like a tie I have a nice shirt on um you know just looking really good like professional and everybody that go- went there was like not even dressed up that nice and i was like probably the most well-dressed person and then <laughs> And the guys are like, you know, this is like a a forest job, right? Like, you're going to be in the woods. It's like, this is a laborious job. I was like, yeah. They're like, they're like, you know, you could probably get bitten by snakes and get bit by bees. And there's poison oak. I was like, cool. And you're going to be away from your family. You're not going to be at home for months at a time. I'm like, well, I don't have any family here. So let's do
0: it. Damn, uh, dude. That's crazy. So they they didn't understand did they understand your background at the time like yeah, yeah. no they had no idea and um you know i i kind
1: of disclosed to them what was going on and they're like okay well if you have any like you know court dates that you have to go to mm-hmm. just let us know and we'll accommodate for you so i was like all right and you know at, at, at that point my life changed completely you know because you know i i got hired on the spot they're like you know we're going to give you the job show up to my mon- show up on monday and we'll start
0: yeah so did you tell them about your your background as a wrestler in cross country and did that help you with their interview yeah you know i i told them you know i
1: i wrestled and to people that wrestled they understand like okay this that's like important but to people that don't know what wrestling mm-hmm. is and sports are like mm-hmm. they probably would not care but I told them like, yeah, I you know, I'm a runner, I'm a wrestler, and I'm, I'm super into physical um work. So they liked that. And it was it was crazy because you know, I, I went into this field and I excelled because a lot of the people around me, they weren't they weren't wrestlers, they weren't runners, they were their everyday labor. You know, they would go home, drink a six pack, smoke a pack of cigarettes, and that's it but I would show up to work with like a fucking neutral bullet full of spinach and protein. And they're like, Oh wow, we've never seen vegetables on a sandwich before. And like, you know, I'll come in with like a sandwich with spinach and tomatoes and everything. And they're eating like Lunchables or something like, you know, canned soup or something. And I took, I took my health seriously and it was kind of like middle school all over again because I was ostracized for it. But I used that as fuel to be like, all right, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to do more. I'm going to produce more than you. I'm going to hike faster than you. I'm going to hike longer than you. And I'm going to pack more weight than you. And I was smaller than these guys. And, you know, and then now I had another goal and that one season turned into four seasons turned to mm-hmm. four hard years, you know, um, and we'd go all over the place, fight fire all over the country, California and Colorado and Utah, Washington, Oregon. Um, and I remember just being surrounded by all these guys that didn't really care as much as I did you know, about their health. And it was obvious because I was doing much better than a lot of them. Um, in what way? In just my performance. So we had to make... Our everyday thing where we're not fighting fires, we call it um, piling, making piles, stacking sticks. So we'd we'd have people cut down trees Mm -hmm. and we'd stack sticks and make these like giant, like 10 foot piles by five foot, like 10 by five. They're like very tall, very wide. And you would just literally stack logs and sticks and branches and then cover it with plastic so it wouldn't get wet and then you stack more sticks on top of it to keep the plastic down. And then within eight months, you come back and you light them on fire. So essentially, you have a whole mountainside with all these trees trimmed, cut, and stacked into piles. And then you start at the top of the mountain, and you burn them. And on your way down the mountain, you're burning all these piles. So you look back, and you have like hundreds of piles on fire, and the mountain behind you is on fire. And I was making the most piles. I would be making like twenty-five piles a day, while other people were making like fifteen. You know, mm. and while these people are taking their lunch breaks, I'm I'm still piling. And then afterward, and this really hard work. You know, like any yeah. tree under eight inches, then you could do like a shaka. We'd put the shaka right on top of the tree. Anything mm-hmm. underneath the, that shaka, you cut down because if you measure your shaka usually it's like seven Mm -hmm. eight inches so it's a good indication um yeah so we cut down anything underneath eight inches in uh, diameter and then we pile it and burn it and that's all we did until we got a fire call in the summer and you know i do that from six o'clock in the morning till five o'clock like literally all fucking day just stacking sticks hiking with weight you know, and then afterwards I'd go and hit the gym. I would go, you know, I would hit the gym, run, do a circuit, um, high interval training, and just try to get and stay fit because it was doing stacking six stack wasn't keeping my muscle tone. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. keeping my chest strong. It wasn't keeping other things strong. So I wanted to continue keeping my body strong and. I was probably the best shape of my life at that time, you know, just because I was hiking miles and miles every day with, you know, 50 pounds of weight with the chainsaw and then um, going to the gym. So my first year fighting fire was, was just like sticks. And then the next year I was like, okay, I want to get on the chainsaw. And the only way you can get on a chainsaw is if you produce well with piles. And if you do well um, like we call it swamping and swamping is when you have a chainsaw and a swamper and the person that cuts um, is a chainsaw and then the swamper grabs that stuff and moves it over and then if you can do well as a sawyer or a swamper then you can become a sawyer so I proved myself my first year as a swamper and as a piler and then they're like okay you can go to you can go to uh, the saw so then i started learning how to use a chainsaw and um and then i got pretty efficient with that and you know i was cutting well i was doing my best as a first year sawyer and then i became the top sawyer in the company like one of the top sawyers in the company and i was leading What's the company a, called a grayback grayback forestry okay. in oregon and you know they have three sawyers you're the lead sawyer and the two following sawyers and they gave the lead sawyer to the person that can pretty much hang you know like if you can't cut for more than four hours they're not going to make you a lead sawyer and um you know so I was working my ass off to try to become a lead sawyer and I eventually became the lead sawyer and one day I cut for literally 13 hours straight just in the hottest part of the day in the california desert just cutting just in the thickest brush imaginable and um you know that was another goal of mine and i wanted to do that and you know everybody looked at the sawyer like he was a god or like he was like you know one of the leaders of the crew and if you're able to do that then you know you had a lot of respect so i I got into that role and I loved leading these, these guys. And there's like 20 on a crew. There's 20 people. There's your crew leader. You have three Sawyers, three Swampers, and everybody else digs. And I wanted to be a Sawyer because the Sawyers kind of got to do the cool stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. they got to have, they got to have a little Sorry, go for it. Yeah. They just got to have a little bit more, um, you know, leeway to do other things. So, I got mm-hmm. the cool
0: position. There was a story you told me um, when you first joined, is that you had to do a pack test, um, and I, and it's such a cool story that I just want to I just want to hear you um, talk about it.
1: Oh, so a pack test is a three mile walk, you know, flat. You're not allowed to really run; like you have to have one foot on the ground at all times, and you're carrying a forty five pound pack and you're supposed to do this pack test within 45 minutes and i was like all right i'm gonna do it i've done three miles for races all the time like this should be no problem Mm -hmm. and the first time i did it i did it like 29 minutes and at that time that was like one of the fastest pack tests and i did that without running that was just speed walking um And you know, all these guys are coming in 40 minutes, 41 minutes, 42 minutes, 45 Mm -hmm. minutes, like literally at the end of the time. And I came in at 29. And while I finished, I was waiting for everybody to get done. I was doing push
0: ups. Motherfucking motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) You're just just breaking their souls um, or taking their souls. That's so cool, man. And I love, I mean, I just love those stories because that's like how we were with each other. Um, Mm -hmm. growing up it's like we were like between you and i we were super competitive like if if you were doing something i'm gonna do something you know
1: and i think that's a you know for me that's where a lot of my competitiveness and wanting to be better than other people comes from you know it's probably because i'm a twin and constantly Mm -hmm. being compared to you constantly being you know like challenged you know who can do more push-ups who's stronger who's faster it always made me want to be that person. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I would look at other people, like other people on the team, I'm like, dude, you're like, I would look at them like you guys have no idea like what, where I come from and like the kind of competitiveness I have because, you know, they've never wrestled. They don't have a twin. They don't, they've never done cross country. So it's like, for me, I I always felt like I had that edge. I, I, right. I guess those people and i even did that sort of thing when i was in fire school here
0: like you know people get before you before we we're going to get to that but i just want to talk about this transition so you're you're homeless at starbucks okay Mm -hmm. and now and now you're working for grayback are you homeless at grayback or how does how does grayback um how did that affect your life financially and like your your uh your quality of life Right, and so we'll Grayback kind of was,
1: gray was probably my first real like job, in the sense where I was working twelve hour days, sixteen hour days, five days a week, seven days a week, and I was actually making decent money. Like I remember my first paycheck, I got a thousand dollars. I was like, whoa, like that's that's a lot of money. Like oh my god, I'm rich, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And versus I was, what at Starbucks? Versus like getting four hundred dollars. Mm. Every two weeks, you know, and the cool thing about Greyback is when you're on a fire call, they'll send you to California and they'll feed you, they'll house you. All you have to do is show up and work, you know, bring your own clothes, show up and work. And you didn't have to worry about paying for anything. So I was able to save money. I was able to make money. And at the time, I didn't realize how important, like, you know, having good spending habits were so I was just kind of buy when I wanted whenever I wanted you know um and I was able to actually stop being homeless and get an apartment because my buddy Ryan Rand, he was living in these apartments in Oregon and they were like dirt cheap they're like $400 a month and you know there there's like this type of apartment where there's like four rooms and they all like shared a kitchen and a bathroom so I was living with like Ryan Rand and the other two people were Mo and Muhammad and Ali and they're like these two like Saudi Arabian kids and it was just a mess when I moved in there like you pay 400 dollars for an apartment like you're going to meet some pretty shady people that are like not the most clean they don't pick up after themselves so Ryan and I literally would when we first got there, we cleaned the whole place. We, like, put on masks, put on gloves, scrubbed the kitchen floor, scrubbed the scrubbed the bathrooms. It was disgusting. There was, like, sludge on the ground. And we made it our home because we, you know, he was also a wrestler. And we just had that work ethic. And we wanted to, like, live in a nice, clean place. And, you know, that was my first apartment ever. And, yeah, so Greyback was able to kind of give me that, um sustainability that i needed it was able to you know help me provide for like with a roof over my head and food on the table and mm-hmm. yeah it gave it gave me it gave me you know it just kind of
0: put me in the right direction you know right and okay so you're put in the right direction with gray back um and you do that for four years. Did you do that consecutively for four years? I
1: did. So I did it all year. You know, I would literally pile all year, wait for fire season. We always waited for fire season because you don't get to, you don't have to pile sticks anymore. And when you get towards like fall, like wintertime, fall, wintertime, you're doing, you're stacking sticks in the rain and you're stacking sticks in the snow. And being from Hawaii, it was like, Horrible because I was so cold all the time. And, you know, having to wear like long johns and boots and double, triple socks and, you know, an under, like a few under layers and a top jacket. And you're trying to work in these conditions and it's miserable. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had that mental fortitude, like just keep going, keep working through it. And I actually did that for, you know, four years. And that taught me a lot of mental toughness. You know just like getting through just being cold and working you know working in the snow mm-hmm. and you know and then you we wait and then next year comes around and then fire season starts again and then you're like rejuvenated you know you're making good money you're traveling you're seeing new mm-hmm. things you're fighting fire and then it kind of make you kind of just forget how bad piling was
0: right so okay I, I asked you if you did it four years consecutively because I wanted you to organically talk about it, but um one year um you went to Thailand. Oh yes. So Okay, so one year I So we finished so you finished your fire season, right? Yep. And um, so you you were at the time
1: um at in Thailand, you're doing your international international um What's studies. It called? yeah you're doing yeah. international studies um you're in a program and you're like hey tris like come to thailand um come come out here for a few months and like just kind of visit me i remember you asked me in like 2018 you're like do you want to look back and regret like not going or do you want to start your year going to thailand i was like fuck it um when i finish my year uh i'm going to finish my fire season i'm going to save up money and then i'm going to go to thailand so, you know, I saved up like $5,000 and packed up my shit and fucking left. and went to Thailand and, you know, it was probably one of the best parts of my life. I felt so free and maybe realized like, you know, life's not all about work. It's not all about, you know, the hustle of, you know, the grind of going to work at five o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I, I ended up loving Thailand and I met, I met someone there. You know, mm-hmm. we fell in love with the girl there and ended up moving out there because I loved it so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I, yeah. I moved out there for months at a time, you know, and then I'd go, back. whenever I needed money, I would go back to the States and fight fire again. I would do another mm-hmm. season or I would do another couple of tours, make a few thousand dollars and go back. And then, you know, my first time in Thailand, that's when I first started trading Muay Thai. And that was difficult. Didn't know how to punch. Didn't know how to kick. Didn't know how to do a knee or elbow. And, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, I'll get deep. So I just want to, like, really paint this transition. So you go from cross-country or becoming a goalie, and then going to cross-country and wrestling, and then wrestling and cross-country to um, wrestling in college, and then becoming a Starbucks uh, barista to wildland firefighter Mm -hmm. to going to (laughs) thailand going to thailand and training
1: muay thai training muay thai and dating a russian english teacher and Mm -hmm. she actually taught me how to ride a motorcycle in thailand on the opposite side of the road with literally the opposite direction you know the fast lane is the right lane and the slow lane is the left lane and that's completely opposite the u.s you're driving on the other side of the car. You know the the street was on the right side of the car, so everything's different. She taught me how to ride a motorcycle. Um, we would just travel the country on our motorcycle, and you know I fell in love with it. I fell in love with Thai people. I fell in love with Thai culture and Thai food. Thai food, and I came back after I left the first time. She was like, "Hey, like we need English teachers." And I was like, I speak English. <laughs> I, I can, you know, I have a a U.S. passport. Like, what else do I need? And she's like, Don't worry about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hook you up. I'm gonna get you a job. And she was working with like this Russian company that dealt with like really really rich, wealthy Thai people. And these Thai kids were like in kindergarten learning Chinese, English, and Thai. You know, they're learning three languages as kindergarteners, going to like, you know, karate classes. And like, they're like the top 1% in Thailand. So you have to show up, you have to go in with like a nice shirt, you know, you have to get a collar shirt, at least some slacks and nice shoes. It wasn't like, you know, it's something you just show up in like with a t shirt. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching kindergartners from, for a few months.
0: Did so you have a th- degree for that?
1: No, I didn't need a degree for that. Um, You know, and I was getting paid okay money. I wasn't getting paid great money. I was getting paid like $500 every week or so, which was like incredible for Thai people, you know, it's like a lot that. For Thai people. Yeah. Yeah. Because Thai people are don't even make nearly that much and it was crazy because I would go in there and all these people were like oh that guy's Thai like he is Thai so they would speak to me in Thai I'm like I have no idea what you're saying you know and then they realized i American and they're like oh shit like okay so you know i would go in speak my best English and teach you know teach English teach the kids like grandma is in the bathroom or mom is in the in the kitchen or something mm-hmm. you know um
0: so i wanted so- to um talk about talking about language and speaking properly i remember we went to this rooftop bar yeah um, i think we we're both sick at the time but at this rooftop bar we were like yeah to go to it you need to be in shoes you need to have pants on there's
1: a dress code
0: yeah there's a dress code and we were like in surf shorts and slippers like Eva beach boys taking this fucking ski, sky train to this um <laughs> to this rooftop bar and so I remember we took a sky so. train to downtown bangkok to go to like one of these like
1: you know like these rooftop bars but it was like one of the nicest ones in the city and there's a yeah. you had to have a dress code and you're like i remember you like looked at me while we were right up the elevator like all right speak your best english possible because english is like you said like english is like wealthy it means wealth there so like if you can speak Mm -hmm. good english it probably means like you know you have something so i was like all right and then we'll be like (laughs) the elevator door opens and there's somebody already there like greeting us i was like we're like hello sir how are you today and they're like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i were like
0: you're we like oh we're in there dude we're in there we didn't we didn't do the Kab, just like, did do like their hands.
1: Uh, traditional like Kab, palm to tristan like no we we're like hello sir my name is tristan like how are you today Yeah. and they're like Holy shit and i i remember it was so funny because i i did that again later on you weren't around i was with I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we were going past like this roadblock, and we were driving across uh, across the the country, going to like you know see elephants. And there's roadblock, and I was like, "All right, my best English." And uh, the the guy stops me. He's like a military guy. And he's like, he's like, "Where are you going? Where are you going?" I'm like, "Oh, we're going to Chiang Mai. We're gonna go see some elephants." He's like, "Okay, go." And that was it. <laughs> he like he totally looked at me like i was some kind of like drug mule you know but he like heard my english and he was like all right this guy's a fucking tourist yeah whatever so like immediately like they didn't think that i was a threat
0: that's funny okay (laughs) yeah we had a good time in thailand and i want to say i want to say on record thank you so much for being my sugar daddy we're out yeah there. man
1: you were you were a broke, broke college kid and i was coming in with some money and and you're like we were, we were we were like laos or something and you were like oh we'll just take a bus home i'm like fuck that dude i'm like I'm taking a bus back i'm gonna fly
0: <laughs> and you pay for my flight i pay for your flight oh my God. For your yeah
1: it was good it was a good time so you you eventually pay me back so
0: yeah um dude, you actually I paid you back a little more too, I think when especially when I had to buy you a flight out of your um your airport prison that you're in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Should we <laughs> talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, for sure. I wanna I wanna segue into um who you are currently, but uh yeah, it's it's just a funny story. Yeah, so i was you know going
1: in and out of thailand it was probably like my seventh time going into thailand um you know i did a visa run when you get a visa in thailand you're supposed to leave like every 30 days you know go to a different country get a new visa renew it for 30 days so this time i was going back and they were like kind of suspicious because they saw like i had entered and exited so many times at the time i was coming back from vietnam and they're like, what are you doing in my country? I was like super nervous. So I was like, Oh, uh, you know, I'm teaching English to little kids. I was like showing them on my, my phone, like a picture of me and all these little kids. And the lady was like, Oh, really? Like, tell me more about it. So I was like, Yeah, you know, I just work live with my girlfriend and she's a teacher, and I teach too. I didn't realize that in order to teach, you needed a you needed a working visa. <laughs> <laughs> and that completely illegal to teach without a working visa i was like Fucked. all right they're like we're gonna send you back from where you came from i'm like oh you're gonna send me back to hawaii they're like no we're sending you back to vietnam i was like what <laughs> i was like i'm not from vietnam they're like well you're coming from vietnam so we're sending you back so they held me in airport jail for two days and two nights i was in there Thirty Indian people, like from Sri Lanka, and they're listening to their music, or like they're They're Sri Lankan.
0: Oh, they're Indians from Sri Lanka. Okay.
1: Yes, and they were like, you know, listening to like their music, and I was like, the fuck did I just get myself into? (laughs) And it's weird. It's cool because airport jail, you're able to, you know, have your belongings. You have your phone. You know, I had a Rubik's cube in there, so that's when I really went into rubik's cubing and i learned how to do the rubik's cube yeah. in thai airport jail and it's crazy because they, they they get they grab you and they take you like through this fucking maze in the airport like down these elevators and they bring you to the cell and you have to actually pay to live there and they pay you have to pay to have food and at the end of it they're like all right here's your here's your expenses for your stay i was like are you fucking serious like you want me to pay for this shit So I did. I paid for it. It was like probably like $100 just worth of food, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It was a good food. No, it wasn't even good food. Uh, It was like terrible, like Thai food, you know, and it was so bad, dude. I didn't shower in there. I was kind of scared for my life because I was like, fuck, dude, how did I end up in jail again? Like, what the fuck, (laughs) dude? And I remember calling you. You're like, I'm calling the embassy. I'm calling oh, everybody. everybody. I'm calling the president. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I figured out, and eventually I got to leave. Uh, <laughs> they got me back to Vietnam, and at that point I'm like, all right, I'm not flying back to Thailand because I don't want this shit to happen again. So I have to take a Greyhound bus, 12 hours to from Vietnam to Laos. Get to Laos. Um, get my visa from them in the embassy in Laos and then cross the border to Thailand. And I remember praying like, oh, holy shit. I hope they don't stop me again. And I was like shitting myself I'm like, right. This could be it. I could be going fucking back to jail, dude. <laughs> and I was by myself for, it, it was supposed to be like a two day thing and it turned into like two weeks. So oh I my spent God. a lot of time in Vietnam and you can imagine, like when you get a visa, you're supposed to get like a passport photo and try to figure out, holy shit, where do I go to get a passport photo in Vietnam? I don't speak Vietnamese, so I stayed at a hostel for like a week, and the lady was helping me navigate this situation. You know, she was helping me get my all my documentation right, and then she she set me up with a with a, a Greyhound bus to to Laos. And then I stayed in Laos for a few days. Get my finally go to the embassy? Took takes like hours to wait at the embassy in, in Laos and just trying to like explain my situation to people without yeah. knowing how to speak their language. It was fucking a nightmare, dude. It
0: was horrible.
1: Was that so, harder?
0: Was that harder than being homeless in Oregon? Or
1: yeah, it was I, I'd say it was way harder because you're you're just dealing with all this bullshit and you're like dealing with the language barrier you're dealing with like you know at the same time i'm trying to feed myself i'm trying to like find a place to sleep and it was just you know and i, I didn't have a u.s cell phone i had to get um my cell phone minutes from like some kiosk you know and mm-hmm. it was i had a whole different number it was just hectic it was it was chaos but i tried to enjoy it you know i got to see all these places and tried to visit i was like well i'm in vietnam i haven't been to vietnam so i'm gonna go you know check out the scene and
0: visited all these cool places in the meantime so last question about this um but how was the food in vietnam i initially hated the food of vietnam because i first got there
1: um i didn't have any um uh, what is it dong that's the currency of vietnam yeah. I didn't have any so i was trying to look for places that accepted card nobody would accept card and i got there super late at night so i couldn't go to like a bank and pull out money so i said all right i'm gonna go to a restaurant that accepts card finally found one after walking for like you know an hour and all they served was goat are you fucking serious dude like i was like holy shit all they served is goat and i was eating they had goat they had goat penis on the menu. I was like, fuck, dude. So I just ordered some goat just sitting there and it was not great. You know, <laughs> and I get I get back and I'm like, oh man. That was not that was not great. And then, you know, and then I eventually found other foods that I like. I like the Vietnamese coffee, which is really good. It was like this egg coffee. It had like literally an egg in it with espresso.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was super cool. And then I went to all these, after that, I went into like more like, you know, more touristy part of Vietnam in um, Hanoi and Da Nang mm-hmm. and Hawaii. An. And it was super cool. I got to like see all these really cool restaurants, you know, all these like really modern restaurants in this really like, you know, kind of poor country. And
0: yeah, I ended up really liking it in Vietnam. I would go back. So, Let's talk about your transition out of wild on firefighting because you're not doing that anymore. Right. So what was next? What was next for you? During this time,
1: it was actually when I was, you know, I went to Thailand, went back to fight fire. And during that time I was fighting fire, um, I get a call, you know, was like lucky that I even got self-service at the time. Found out dad was in the hospital and he was you know dying and they're like we need you back in Guam now and I was like what like I'm in the literally in the middle of the woods you know just so lucky that I got cell service that day and found out so um found out within hours within like 12 hours I was in the middle of the woods to the nearest airport which was like four hours away in Yosemite right no this was in Oregon okay. this is in the middle of the forest in Oregon and then um my crew you know Austin Powers and Chase he um they they both paid for me to get an uber from like the middle of the woods to the nearest airport i don't even remember the name of the airport it was so small and then um Nino you know, Godwood paid for me to have a flight one way to Guam from that airport we from so from literally finding out that was dying in the middle of the woods at 12 o'clock at night they got me to an airport the next morning i was 24 hours later i was in guam it was surreal i still had poison oak on my body from from being in the woods it's just like
0: just sm- still, still smell like fire still that.
1: like fire still had smoky dirty clothes on it was just so surreal dude like the entire time i was like wondering what's gonna happen wondering if dad's gonna die i had no idea And then that day, show up, that day, Guam went straight to the hospital. I I saw dad. He was in the hospital and, you know, he was on his deathbed. And, you know, nobody told me that he was dying. I just had a weird feeling because they were saying, he's in the hospital. You need to come now. And I got there and I immediately understood like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is it. This is he's done. Like, this is the final goodbye. And you were in Tunisia and Chloe was in Hawaii and I was the only one there. So, you know, at the time I was like, fuck, like I had the power of attorney, you know, and I was like, yeah, let's just, you know, dad's gone. Let's pull the cord. He was on life support and he died. And then that kind of changed my whole perception. I was like, you know, I don't want to be at work anymore and have people die and me not be there for it because the year before that grandma had died when i was fighting fire grandma mm-hmm. died the next year dad died and it just changed my life and then you know i moved back to thailand after that happened you know i got his tattoo on my arm in thailand and my my life just changed I, w- I wanted to go back to school you know i wanted to go back and get a good a, good, a better job you know through education mm-hmm. not just through physical labor because when you're fighting fire, the wildland scene, you're gone from your family. Like that's a job for like young people or people that don't want to have kids and a wife. And I mean, people do it, but it's not sustainable. So I was like, all right, going well, back to school. So I moved, you know, I ended up breaking up with my girl girlfriend and moved back to Hawaii. And so what did you do in Hawaii? So while I was in Hawaii, I um I enrolled in school at University of Hawaii in Manoa to study film. And, you know, I was doing pretty decently well, like, in school and um, made a lot of really great connections. And um, I worked my ass off to get into the film program because the film program you have to get accepted into. And it wasn't, like, just something you could sign up for. And at the time, I wasn't doing that great in the film course this film course um and my teacher was like "Oh, go to like the film festival and do like a a report on the film festival and then I'll give you extra credit and that should give you the grade you need to get into uh, the film program so I said okay so I got to the film festival and spoke to the CEO of the film festival and I was like hey like I want a job and like they you know I just kind of spoke to them and eventually like asked them if I could have a job and they're like yes of course like we need you in the Honolulu Film Festival and I ended up getting an internship with them so
0: wow I had no idea
1: got into into the film program got this incredible internship with the Honolulu International Film Festival and you know Mm -hmm there's all these directors and movie producers coming in from like Korea and Japan and China and all over the place for this international film festival. And I was able to land an internship with them. And I was like, oh, all right, like this is sweet. Like, this is a, a good gig. And um, yeah, just, and then um my, the next year I was just studying. And I remember like having to pay all this money for this job and, or for this, for this degree and i was like working as a bartender at at this um bar in near the school and i was also working as a uh, a deckhand with this uh sailing company this tourism company and i was also working as a plumber so it was just like full-time school three jobs it was just super hard you know like it was too much on my plate and I was like you know staying up like 18 hours a day trying to just make everything work and I was just like I can't do it anymore and I don't want to use all this money and spend all this money on this degree and essentially I just decided that I didn't want the degree anymore I just mm-hmm. I was like, why am I spending all this time and money for a degree that I won't even really use you know like part of the assignments was for me to watch movies and I can't even sit down to watch a TV show most of the time. So how are you going to study film? If you can't even sit down to watch a movie, you know, like I'm super like, you know, I just want to work Action with my business. hands. Right. Yeah. I'm just, you know, phys- I'm just wanting to use my hands and work with my hands. And I was just like, this is not it for me right now, maybe later, but not right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I-, I dropped out of school and, I tried, I tried so hard to stay in school and I was like, yeah, this is not for me. Dropped out. And then I started working as a plumber with Uncle Mark for like almost two years. You know, I learned a lot about plumbing. I became an apprentice. I learned a lot about tools, learned a lot about construction in general. And, you know, that really kind of, you know, fueled me. And, you know, I felt like I was stuck at that point. I was like, fuck, you know, dealing with other people's shit literally. (laughs) that's funny it was just not it was just not ideal you know i wasn't happy you know i was also working as a deckhand with you know like tourists and showing them like the turtles and sailing and i learned how to sail i learned how to tie knots i learned how to do all these cool things in the water and you know i just kind of felt like there was more Mm -hmm. so then jib Janae gave me a a call or a facebook message and he was like you miss you missing the smoke like missing the fire and i was like yeah I, you know what i mean i'm not making that much money right now i could probably make more money you know and he offered me a job with the with the united states forest service which is a federal organization and you at that point he was offering me a job to be a federal firefighter i was like yes like I'm, i'll give me the information i'm leaving now so i had a car i had a motorcycle i had apartments i literally left it all and i had all i had got rid of all my stuff and packed up and left to california to go fight fire in yosemite oh, and, Okay, and then you know i i met all these people there and you know, I was in this really conservative part of California and you know, I'm just Hawaiian kid and I'm with all these like, you know, hicks, you know, and like all these like conservative white people that have never like met a Hawaiian guy before and they're like not the nicest to me. You know, they're super you know, the the culture with firefighting is like there's a lot of hazing, there's a lot of like talking down to each other, and that's like their way of you know being accepted Be, into a group being accepted into a group right yeah so they gave me the shittiest jobs i was packing the heaviest shit um and they were just breaking me down and like literally i'm working and they're like this is a man's job and just trying to like mentally break me and i was like just smiling at them the, t- the entire time like dude you're not gonna fucking you're not gonna break me because i'm okay. i didn't do much. <laughs> been through <laughs> way worse than this dude like good luck and I ended up earning my respect and earning my stripes because I just wouldn't give up and I wouldn't I wouldn't take no for an answer. I would just work my ass off. And there's one day where they're like okay you're gonna take they gave me the shadiest jobs like one of the jobs was holding the extra water for the crew. That was my job. I was the fucking water boy. And I had to hold 50 pounds of water on my back with like a axe in my hand. And the, the water is like a QB, they call it a QB. And that thing is like, uh, what is it? Like it's like 50 pounds, so it's like maybe 10 gallons or something of water, eight gallons of water. And um I'm hiking with it with like all this weight with the 45 pound pack on 50 pounds of water, my own tool, my gear. It's just horrible. And after that day they're like, yeah, you're in your stripes. And then I got more respect because I'm carrying literally the heaviest weight out of the whole group
0: mm-hmm. and I'm keeping up with them, you know? And so after your first, after that season as a, um, it's a federal firefighter, what's next?
1: After that, I, you know, I, I, I do the season um, and then I moved to Florida and then I pursued my life with Phoebe and, you know, I, I had this goal. Who I'm gonna is Phoebe? Go, Phoebe my was my girlfriend at the time, my wife now. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go work in California, try to make some money for an engagement ring. And I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. And I got enough money to save up for a ring and i did i eventually proposed to her and you know so going back though i went to florida completely changed my life you know moved to a new place new people new community new i didn't know anyone here you know and and now i'm like starting this emt program and i have no medical knowledge at all i have you know no really nothing. And I'm starting as an EMT and trying to learn some medical stuff. And it's just like brutal. And I'm doing it online because it's during COVID. And usually it takes people three to four months, maybe six months, but it took me eight months to, to get this certification because, you know, I failed the test the first time. So then I sat down and I was like, all right, I need to really study. So I took two months to study even more. And then I finally passed the test you know, during this time I was working out, working at a gym so I could have a free gym membership. And I was also working at a surf shop doing like surf lessons. And, um, you know, that's, that was it. And then I eventually got an EMT job with Liberty Ambulance, which is a horrible environment as well, just because it was just not conducive, you know, like the people there are kind of, or like just poor quality people, you know, what does that they, mean? Just like the people there didn't care about themselves. They were just like always eating fast food. They didn't really care about working out. They were just like,
0: mm-hmm. kind of like, I hate to say it, but like, they're kind of like bottom of the barrel type of people, you know? They're just not prioritizing whatever you found priority in. I'm just, I'm just challenging this thought right now. I, I agree with you. Like, I think the, one of the most important things is is to is to prioritize your health, your diet yes. and exercise but for you, the bottom of the barrel were people who didn't do that.
1: Yeah, and it just, you know, like it just set me, it set me apart. It almost like kind of like put me on the fringes of this of the social group because I cared so much about those things. Um, so fast forward, finally got my EMT certification and then I'm like, all right, now I'm going to go to fire, get a fire degree, a degree in fire. And then I'm like trying to talk to the people at the college and get like into the program they're like hey you know you can just become a firefighter and then get your degree afterwards I was like and then you can start making money I was like oh really I didn't know that so initially I thought you had to get a degree first to be a firefighter but no that's not true you just sign up and I was like literally within a week of the application closing and I found out so I had to get all my paperwork together you know I had to pretty much get my like residential paperwork because you can't you have to be like a resident to have like a certain tuition fee because either that or you would have to pay like another seven thousand dollars more so i was trying to get all this paperwork done all these medical physicals done and i was so blessed because i was able to do it in such a short amount of time that i got into the program and then i started fire school and then you know mm-hmm. that was nine months of my life and fire school was cool you know the, the people there were like they didn't like me at first the people in fire the fire academy didn't like me because I was you know I was super like rambunctious and I was very like outgoing you know I was kind of outspoken and in this area people are like trying to be quiet they're trying to be like you know, like submissive. And I was just like, not that, you know, the first day of class, I was very, you know, talkative and talking to everybody, just super like Aloha, Mr. Aloha. And I was made yeah. fun of, of that. and people were like making fun of me. So they, you know, even the instructors were like kind of jerks towards me. And I was like, all right, well, um, now I have to fucking put my head down, shut up and work and show these people who the fuck I am right so now i'm like i have a fire to my ass because all these people are making fun of me all these people are you know talking down on me and nobody wanted to like be my group like i was always like the last pick you know i was like one of the only i was literally the only brown guy in the class in my graduating class i was everybody else was like white maybe one or two black people Mm -hmm. everybody was white so um you know i felt not only did i feel different on the outside but people are treating me different including the instructors so you know i would show up to class you know class started at seven i would show up at 5 30 and work out and i made it a point so that people would see me working out before class and i'll run past their cars they would be sitting in their cars in the parking lot <laughs> i'm just getting jacked dude. i'm just like working out running doing pull-ups before class and then meanwhile we're doing more workouts during class you know so this mm-hmm. is my warm-up and my warm-up's already before people even got out of bed so taking souls spent, again taking souls dude ment- mentally taking souls and then you know we would do our workout in class with the whole class and then i did then doing push-ups while these guys are tired and do pull-ups while these guys are tired you know i'm getting like a barbell with 45 pound weights and like doing squats with it while these guys are sitting down in the shade Because these guys wrote me off in the beginning and it pissed me off. So, you know, I'm trying to show like these guys, like I don't fuck around, you know, I mean, I fuck around and I'm Mr. Aloha. But when it comes down to it, I have a switch, you know, like that wrestler switch, you know, Mm. when you and me are brothers, we're friends. But once you step on the mat, you need to have that switch, turn it on. And now we're competitors. So I took that mentality and applied it. And um everywhere it seems like everywhere, literally everywhere, because that's all I knew. And you know, people noticed, but they never gave me that like acknowledgement.
0: They never really no one. It. No one's gonna give you that acknowledgement. That's because people don't like when you when they feel outworked because you're beating them.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because you know I remember this girl Jesse. She was like, "What was she saying?" She was like, "Oh, you're so um like you're like a show off or like you're like." What did she say she's like you're like she was basically just kind of putting me down for working hard you know and she was like pretty much making fun of me for it and it, that just fueled me even more you know to keep going and keep working out hard and you know i i was in the program and i they teach you knots and i already knew a lot of the knots so i'm like trying to show people knots I wanted to be class leader or some kind of squad leader and they didn't choose me. So that kind of even fueled me even more because I'm so used to be like a, in that leadership role, especially with the fire, with cross country, with wrestling. And then I'm in this position now where like I was overlooked because of how I behaved the first few days of class.
0: Mm-hmm. So do, now you, like, do you ever think like, that they were right and you're wrong like people want to be led by someone they trust and not someone who like is just better than them or stronger than them or work harder than them i think
1: yeah they were probably choosing these people based on like their personality traits and i was you know right off the bat i was just super talkative and silly and now, just you know i came from a place where i've been fighting fire for years and i was already a federal firefighter and i was like you know what i've already put in my time working like this i'm gonna just show up and just kind of be my authentic self and it really truly wasn't appreciated because you know they want you to show up and be like submissive and super quiet and i was just like that wasn't me Mm -hmm. Uh, but eventually i did turn into that because because of how people treated me um but it's funny because they asked me to be like on their billboard and they're like, they're like, oh, we need uh, people to take pictures of. And I really think they used me because I was like literally the only brown person in class. And like, they wanted to use my picture to promote diversity within this school. And now it's like, it was like in the airport and people are sending me pictures. Like, dude, I saw your picture of the airport. It was on like these digital billboards across the the city, and it was also like on these trailers. So I'm like, huh? How are these people going to treat me like this? But they're going to use me as like some promotion. It's politics. Uh, it's politics, really. But I was like, whatever. Well, you know, they're going to choose these guys as class leads, but they're going to choose me as like some, you know, as the face of the program, which is right. ridiculous yeah
0: and so okay so now at this point you're a firefighter you graduate Mm -hmm. um and at the same time what are you doing
1: um yeah this time i'm you know i'm i'm doing jujitsu now now i'm training Mm -hmm. jujitsu you know i meet um i meet james butner and he he started this jujitsu program for firefighters and you know first responders and i was like you know, I've wrestled before, but I've never really, you know, I've trained jujitsu a few times at a few gyms, but I'm starting over again, you know, as a white belt. So I go there and, um, you know, I start training and I I love the place. The the guys are super cool. They love me because I'm, you know, from Hawaii and I'm a wrestler and I already come with some some skills. So immediately I was accepted. Immediately people kind of looked to me as guy that was like knowledgeable in certain areas so i gained a lot of friends i gained respect i meet a lot of people in the department that you know that are in high places and they put out a good word for me and to the point where it's like chief the chief already kind of like knows who i am and these people already know who i am before i even start the job so you know it's just that trying to make a good impression with people and trying to like you know just need people that can help you and you know just I wanted to go there and show like hey I can work hard I'm dedicated and I have drive and I showed them that right yeah and it
0: sounds it sounds like you kind of do that wherever you go you want to you want this acceptance and you also want to show them that you're a hard worker um and you kind of just keep you you really press that into them and impress that part. Um, I thought it was really cool in a very like alchemist moment when you started working out at the Jiu-Jitsu gym and it allowed you to get your first job with the with Jacksonville uh fire department. Yeah, because um, you know, I
1: met these guys and one of the guys is a captain and he works closely with the recruiting chief. And he put in a good word for me and you know, a lot of the things in my past with like, you know, getting arrested in Oregon that came up in the hiring process. And these people advocated for me. They're like, hey, this guy's, you know, a top notch guy. Who's these he, people? Um, Like the fire community, the fire community, like the from jiu jitsu, from jiu Yeah. They, you know, they're captains, they're firefighters, they're um, lieutenants, and these guys were able to advocate for me you know and I showed up and worked my ass off for them and they were able to have good words about me so they really they really helped me out with that whole process because I was super nervous I was like man what if I don't get in because of this and yeah and then a few weeks ago I found out that I got hired
0: you know congratulations man it's super awesome to hear and remember you told me you got in and like I wasn't very like happy like because i like knew you know i knew you're gonna get in like it wasn't something for me i'm like oh i'm so relieved like it just i just knew that that was something that was that was in your um in your cards um and you know it it took
1: me like you know a couple years to get it and before that i've been dreaming about being in the fire department in Honolulu for a lot the longest time you know so
0: i've been wanting to do structure firefighting for Four years now. Mm-hmm. Well, nonetheless, I was I was proud of you for sure. I just I just like wasn't surprised that you got in. Um. So, what are your what are your goals going forward?
1: So now I'm just trying to you know just get in the department, show that I'm you know a good firefighter. I'm a good worker, and I'm just gonna put my head down and kind of grind. You know, I'm gonna just kind of come at it with a different approach this time. You know, and just show people instead of, you know, talk and, you know, keep to maybe, you know, keep to my friends, but like not try to, not try to be Mr. Aloha this time. You know, maybe later on when I get some, some more experience and some more tenure, but right now I'm just going to focus on working hard and, you know, training, getting my body strong, getting my body uh, ready to undergo this super stressful um, period because recruit school is very physical it's like 12 weeks 13 weeks
0: mm-hmm. um and do you have any jiu-jitsu goals as well
1: yeah i mean i would like to get my blue belt um you know i would like to try to compete um <clears throat> yeah i just want to get better better at jujitsu in general
0: Okay, so you're 26 years old, 27 years old. Where do you see your life going in the next 10 years?
1: Uh, well, the next 10 years, I you know I want to get more certifications, like probably get a paramedic certification. Um, you know, want to get some more, you know, more money. Try to save up money to try to probably move out to Hawaii. Um, maybe start a family. Uh, maybe Mm -hmm. start a business um, and, you know, just try to start making a life, making some good foundations for myself, Um, you know, try to stay healthy, try to stay in shape, try try to keep my
0: relationships good. So it's kind of, so for anyone, I guess for yourself, what would what advice would you have given yourself? You know when you're, you know at the at the lowest of your lows, you're you know you're you're homeless, you're you know you're broke, you're working at Starbucks, you're eating expired food, um out of a crate. What what is something? I mean, you you really did coach yourself through a lot of that. But what what is something that you could boil down and 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 give to other people?
1: Um, you know I would tell them you know, if I were to talk to myself, I would tell myself, like, you know, you're in a really tough spot, and it's it's not easy, but this will be a really good lesson for you, and you'll get stronger from this, and just don't give up, and just keep chasing your goals, you know, even though you're feeling upset, you're feeling sad, wake up, go to the gym, work out, and, you know, just keep push yourself use this pressure to help yourself grow and yeah just don't give up and just keep looking for opportunities to make money just gotta hustle just, you, you can't just like wake up and lay in bed till noon you gotta get after it you know find a job mm-hmm. meet, meet new people and try to try to network you know and try to promote yourself you know mm-hmm. because you're your biggest advocate um. yeah just try not to you know try to f- feel your emotions if you're like really upset but work through it you know work through it yeah that's a really through good it. Just keep, keep working because you just got to keep going because you, you you can end up in a really bad spot you know if you just stay stagnant you can fall into drugs you can fall into go to jail and stay there and you know, just try to keep following your goals. And if you don't have any goals, you got to sit down and make some. Like, think about what you really want and think about mm-hmm. what kind of life you want to have. And then you got to think about how to get there. You know, I I was like in Wildland and I was like, I don't want to live this life where I'm barely home. I want to have a family. I want to have a wife. I want to have a good life at home. And I was like, OK, well, what can I do? I was like, well, maybe... Structure firefighter would be a good answer for that. So I started doing right. everything good, researching how to get into the fire department, talking to former firefighters, talking to captains, um, doing your research, doing my research, you know, and just try to get into like programs that'll
0: help you get into the department. So I have a couple. A... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, no, I just have a couple questions um, from Instagram. Uh, yeah. I posted yesterday that I was gonna have this podcast with you and kind of gave people a little bit about your background Um, and there's some really fun questions in here that I wanted to go over with you sure Um, the first one is from Aloha Antonio and his question is toughest fire slash battle you have ever experienced for Mm -hmm. martial arts and firefighting toughest battle that i've ever experienced for
1: martial arts and and for firefighting yeah Uh, okay so i think when i think the hardest battle that i've had to do for firefighting was probably the day we did like a 32 hour shift so we're like you know wake up at six o'clock in the morning and immediately get a fire call and start digging mine and if you don't know what that means it's basically you are digging a trench around the perimeter of a fire. And we did that till like four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon and we're finally done. And all of a sudden, like we get another call to another fire, like a couple hours down the road. So now we're getting into trucks, driving two hours away. (laughs) And then we get there at like eight o'clock and we get our assignment from the the guy, um, the division that, you know he he has our assignment he said okay we need this fire wrapped up and then we ended up digging Ryan from eight o'clock in the night till nine o'clock the next morning and just that mental grind of just like holy shit when is this gonna be over um, my legs were shaking my quads were starting to cramp and it was just horrible you know just trying to keep the motivation and just trying to keep up physically and you know we're, we're super exhausted because we've already been doing did up for you know 24 hours and yeah just try to dig deep within myself to keep moving um and martial arts the hardest martial art fight
0: yeah he says battle you've ever yeah. experienced i guess that could be anything anything fighting or wrestling or jiu-jitsu
1: um well probably in high school i'd have like you know or college college probably when i was um at sou you know there's always really good guys you know like national champions state champions you know the room was full of champions and i had just walked onto the team and you know i'm doing well against these guys and um but they're, you know, these guys are just trying to win every single second of the match. You know, they don't want to give away a a few points. They don't want to give away a single point. They want to give away a single position. So, you know, just that grind of practicing every day, and you're exhausted, and you know, you're cutting weight. Just practicing it alone was just tough. You know, it was mm-hmm. never easy to go in there after you've worked out in the morning at five o'clock and then going to practice at three o'clock to try to like beat people
0: right it's their own meal you know next question from aloha antonio again which is what is the key to happiness uh key to happiness i think the key to happiness
1: in my opinion is just having something to work towards because i found that whenever I worked towards something, I felt productive. I felt like I was doing something for myself. And in, in that I was happy, you know, and not necessarily getting that goal. You know, you, once you get that goal, you're happy, but then now you're looking for something else. You know, for the longest Mm. time my biggest goal was become a structure firefighter and everything I did working out school was all towards that goal. Now the goal is here. Now I need to figure out another goal, you know, now I need to figure so that's out something the
0: right. pursuit. It's the pursuit
1: of that goal. You know, it's, you know, that old adage is not about the destination, it's about the journey. And that's, mm. I think that's completely relevant to life. And, you know, happiness and- is a mindset, you know, right. because, you know, I've been in all these situations where I was poor and homeless and, you know, we, re- you know, I was going for this goal and I was happy. You know and then i'm in the situation where you know like i have a house and a home and you know i'm you know maybe not as happy or something if i don't have a, something to work towards
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know because sometimes you you fall into these pits of depression and you're like and that's happened while i've had a home and stuff you know i'm depressed and it doesn't really matter like i don't think you know having a home or not having a car really matters it's just doing something that you feel fulfills you with meaning it's important to you yeah that's super important for me having something to work towards
0: awesome that's a great that's a very philosophical great answer tristan i didn't think you that was going to be something that you'd say um Mm -hmm. next question he so uh, aloha antonio who was one of my friends that i've met he's a security guard at the biz the um at the uh college that i work at he he's my friend on instagram and we're talking about like t- chasing our dreams and stuff and he has he's one who's giving me three of these really good questions um and this next one is oh also he was coached at um Lelehua, so he was coached under coach corbett who was our first wrestling coach so it's kind of crazy um he's like five years younger than us uh next one if you were given twenty-four hours and everything was free, what would be the first thing you do? Both of you.
1: First thing I do, if everything was free, I would probably travel to all the places that I've never been to. I'd probably go to Europe, mm. Africa. I'd go to Asia. Go to like somewhere in the Pacific Islands. You know, I would build something
0: that's probably
1: you know provide for my family home or maybe like some kind of gym or some kind of farm you know because i'm really into like gardening and stuff so that's awesome i
0: i i I don't know what i would do because i feel like if it's not free it's not worth it sometimes Mm -hmm. um and i was thinking like when i was reading this question oh maybe i like get a free ice cream or something (laughs) (laughs) but uh i was thinking also everest like if i could do everest for free that would be that would be awesome but i think for me if everything was free i would sign up for some piece of land in hawaii so I i have a place for myself and my family i
1: like that too i just Honestly, I never really thought about it, but if everything was free, I'd yeah, I'd try to get some land. I'd
0: try to build a house somewhere on the beach. You already said your answer. You can't you can't change it now. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, this next one is from Quesadilla. Mm. Uh, she says she asked, Are you and Dylan are you and Dylan competitive with each other?
1: Uh I'd say short answer, yes. Um, just because we hold each other to a standard, higher standard, right? Like I'd say if you weren't doing well with the things that you're doing and you are like kind of slacking off, um, I would, you know, talk to you about it and kind of maybe force you to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not necessarily competitive, like we all, we both have our respective interests and stuff so you you know but definitely for like trying to do something like jujitsu or wrestling we'd probably be competitive right now mm-hmm. i probably can't compete with you in running you know long
0: distances but <laughs>
1: yeah i'd say competitive definitely
0: yeah i think i think competition is a good thing for a lot of ways um yeah yeah and i i i think Growing up, I was, we were a little more toxically competitive, but that's just mm-hmm. kind of how we were. But as we've grown up now, I think our maturity has really like shown through. And now I think it's a lot more respect and appreciation for what we do and like a lot more congratulations. Cause we just, I think now it's like, we both want, just, we both want to win mm-hmm. versus um, how can I get a one up on, on this person? Right.
1: And I just, yeah, that's true. I just kind of root for you to
0: do well in what your pursuits are. That's a great segue, actually. Um, The last question is from Christian Paul. Uh, Hmm. Let me see. I don't know. Do you know Christian Paul? I don't know. Saw sounds familiar. Let's see. Um, I don't know who this person is. What's up, Christian? He asks... What is something that makes you proud to be a brother to Dylan? What is something that makes me
1: proud? Um I'd say just your like mentality is something that I could be proud of because you know that's the thing that separates you from most people is your like mentality to wake up early, to work out, to look after your health, you know, not to eat processed foods, not to eat processed sugars, refined sugars, not to, you know just to treat your body well in general um it's funny because a lot of people don't have that you know i look at the people in my everyday life and not a lot of them really care about their you know their workout habits or their eating habits or just like you know treating yourself well in all aspects you know mentally emotionally and i think that's one thing that is great about you is you're very Um, you know you're very aware of yourself in that way and a lot of people aren't so that kind of motivates me to be that way as well and just like you know being honest with yourself and honest with other people like you know though like you know say people are going out partying you're like that doesn't serve me that doesn't serve my goals that doesn't serve the person I am so you literally won't attend it based on that you know, something is not serving your goals, you know, you're not going to associate with it. And that's, you know, that's something that is really powerful. And, you know, even just like your take on cell phone use, you know, you don't sleep with your cell phone in the room you you just try to be more present or you don't use your cell phone until you've done your morning routine, which is like something completely different from. Uh, most people do you know some a lot of people wake
0: up and that's the first thing they do is like look at their phone mm-hmm. yeah i so even before this podcast you know you said you wanted to drink coffee so you can have a productive podcast and like i was like, okay what time do you like to drink coffee and just being realistic it's like i like to drink around 10 o'clock and i was like okay i respect that and i want to have a good podcast with you but if you want to wake up at 10 o'clock um or if you want to have the podcast at 10 o'clock the podcast for me is gonna get at four o'clock, but I cannot be on my phone and I cannot um, talk to you if I'm not fully present and aware of myself. And so I woke up this morning at two thirty, you know, journaled, um, drank water, used the bathroom, um, did you know my fifty pull ups and my sorry my fifty push ups and 50, or ten pull ups, ten chin ups. Then I went for a two mile run, took a cold shower, drank more water and then wrote out my notes for this podcast and then had the podcast because that was mm-hmm. super important to me to give you my best. Um, and yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Um, Tristan, thank you so much. Um, I don't want to sound corny and say mahalo and Suzu Usma Asi, but, but really thank you for coming on to this podcast today. Um, you have such a, a dynamic story of, you know, um, growing up and you didn't talk about the part where we grew up like the five of us, me, mom, dad, you, Chloe, our little sister, we all grew up in the same, um, bedroom together, you know, and like, that was like our start, you know, and then how, how we we're like really wanted more from ourselves and being from a, um, abusive, like a, abusive, like, um, family and things like that so um just seeing your perspective and hearing more about it in a very like intentional way was cool because i actually didn't know a lot of things you're saying and i thought that would be really hard for me as your twin brother to have a conversation with you but Mm -hmm. i gleaned a lot of new information and a lot of lot new lessons that really do inspire me and give you actually i have a lot more respect for you because i didn't know some of these stories um you're powerful and you're super strong and, um, mentally and physically. And, and I hope a lot of people can really take from this podcast, the idea of you're only suffering and you're only stuck if you choose to be stuck. Absolutely. And, um, and I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Hey man. I love you too. It's super awesome to like kind of revisit these memories and just kind of rehash them with you because, You know, there are things that just happen and you just kind of tuck it in the back of your brain and that's it. But, you know, I'm getting to like really revisit them and yeah, for the people that are going through tough times and just, you know, need that extra motivation, just, just know that it's a mindset and you can change everything with your mindset. And Mm -hmm. if you're able to say like, Hey, I'm in a rough spot, but I can get out of it with hard work and a good mindset, then, you know, anything can be achieved, you know? And I think just having that grinding hustler mentality is super important, you know, and embracing the grind and embracing the toughness of the situation. is just going to make you stronger. And, you know, a lot of people don't, a lot of people are kind of just spoiled in that way where they don't have that like tough, you know experience to help them help them out and just kind of help right. them get through you can't um, really knock people for that too no it's it's it, it's it's true but my experiences growing up with trauma and growing up in like these tough sports really transcended into my everyday habits mm-hmm. even to the point where like you know my in-laws will ask me to do something and i'm gonna go do it right then and there and go above and
0: beyond what they asked me for right and so what is some advice for people who want to be more like you, who want to, you know, who want to embrace that suffering and embrace that, um, that grit? How can they find that? I'd say challenge yourself to
1: do something that you don't love to do. Like if you hate running or if you hate doing push-ups and pull-ups, literally force yourself to do those things, you know, because that's going to, teach you that mental toughness and that tenacity and even do do things even if you're tired do it even if you're not feeling well because if you're able to make it through it you're teaching yourself that you can do things and amidst amidst the you know the tough situation you're gonna try your best to do it and that's invaluable
0: you know yeah. it's true i mean today i i'm looking at my watch right now I slept for four hours and twenty-two minutes, um, and I got a sleep score of fifty-two out of a hundred. But it's—I mm-hmm. woke up, I did my did my thing, and I knew I like I committed to this, and it's like and and something beautiful comes from it. Um, Tristan, where can people find you if they want to contact you?
1: Um, you can probably follow me on Instagram. Uh, you know, my thing is at Trishy Wissi, or you can. Friend me on Facebook, Tristan Kirigua. Yep.
0: Awesome, Tristan. Um, thank you so much for coming on again. I love you. And you're my twin brother. And welcome to the tribe. Shoots. Thank you, guys. Mahalo. We gotta go a 100 miles. It's of something bigger than ourselves. 29,000 feet at so the top of to the world. world.
1: Hey, that Diaries. Your goals
0: should scare you. If your goals don't make you want to pee a little bit, I'm listening. you're not setting high enough. I'm trying to climb Mount Everest, basically. I love you guys, <laughs> and keep it real. Try vibes every day.